Start it up. Oh, I forgot the guy from Rolling Stone just died this past week. Whoops. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to Think Outside the Box Set, the internet's favorite place to make tasteless jokes about Rolling Stone members <laughs> who have recently died. I'm Nathan oh, Hunt. Oh, no. I can't redo it. I didn't think that was tasteful. I thought it was a beautiful tribute. Oh, yes. Charlie the drummer? Woods will miss you. Do you think we'll ever do Rolling Charlie Stones? Watts. Do you think oh. we'll ever do them on the show? I doubt it. They seem Are like... they misunderstood? I, I really doubt it. <laughs> I really, really, really doubt it. Um, Here's the thing. I feel like I know nothing about the Rolling Stones. Other than... I like to roll. Sure. I know I can't get no satisfaction. Yes. Start me up. Already basically a friend of the show because Britney Spears did it, right? Wasn't that her? Oh, was that her? Oh, yeah. It was like a really bad cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that now. Yes. Yeah, I feel like I know basically nothing about them. The most I know about them is that one video of Mick Jagger and who else was in it? They, it's like Dancing in the Streets. Keith Richard. Oh, Dancing. Mm, mm, yeah, that was that a Mick Jagger solo joint? Maybe. I'm looking it up right now. Dancing in the Streets, singular. Oh, David Bowie. Isn't oh. Mick Jagger with him? David and Bowie and Mick Jagger. Okay, uh, but there's this like you, great you know video. It's it's fairly well established that those two fucked, right? Mick Jagger and, and David, David Bowie? Bowie. That's great. Yeah, isn't that fantastic? I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> are there any more details? Like, why um, do people know that? I think someone walked in on them like in bed or something. Um. I mean, there's all kinds of like articles and stuff about it. I mean, there's also stuff about like, before we go too far into celebrating them, there's also some like pretty, maybe not totally. Uh, I mean, maybe it, maybe it didn't ha- there. Some people think that David Bowie like did some other sexual stuff that was like really bad, <laughs> like underage <laughs> stuff. Yeah, like that uh, kind yeah. of thing. I've heard about that. I think Mick Jagger, I'm sure, did also. It as seems a like everyone rock did star in the 1960s, who was able to, surrounded yeah. by like groupies. Oh boy. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> all the more reason to not cover the Rolling Stones. Although I don't know, respect their drummer or whatever, unless he sucks too. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, who knows? Um, it seems like we're the experts. Um, but rest in pa- rest in power, Charlie <laughs> Watts. Is yeah. that his name? <laughs> yes. Um, okay. um, we come here not to bury Charlie Watts, but to praise Russell Crowe. <laughs> Twist. Yes, that's right. This we're is- talking about Russell Crowe and his band Thirty Odd Foot of Grunts. <laughs> grunts plug. yeah we uh teased this at the, in the last episode this is another palate cleanser normally we take an a recording artist mm-hmm. and listen to their entire discography in chronological order but in between those we need to just like i don't know kind of flirt around with some other stuff yeah we and gotta so get we, we do gotta some s- other stuff. score on the rebound you know we exactly. can't get locked down into a new season right away <laughs> yeah 
Also, I maybe we should do one more palate cleanser because we still don't we haven't discussed at all what we're going to do for our final season. We really haven't. No, <laughs> we have it. We have a like a, a, a dinner date, double date thing that, uh, in a couple days. Maybe we'll figure it out then. Yes. <laughs> um. But uh, yeah. So this was your idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is your responsibility. Yes. Um. Because we did well, we like to 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 talk about celebrities bonkers musical projects from time to time i we we talked about uh uh bruce willis and his bruno (laughs) bruno alter ego (laughs) Uh, here it comes (laughs) 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 and who can forget this moment Or this is one of my favorite Bruce Willis moments. A little baby. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I love it in that Bruce Willis song. It's a song about a hot date where a woman offers to cook him a meal. <laughs> and then a lot of the song is dedicated to like how good the meal smells, yeah. if I remember right. <laughs> I think it's sort of like pleasantly like normy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly um it's yeah. like it's like so heteronormative that it's all that it's sweet yeah exactly like it's it's so domesticated <laughs> that it's kind of nice yeah um the the horseshoe the horseshoe uh yeah horseshoe theory um so we we, we covered bruce willis we talked about uh scarlett johansson's um album last week of david or of uh we did Tom jill Waits. stein's album what's that we did Jill Stein's album. Oh, Don't that's forget. right. We did. Yes. We did Jill Stein's album. I forgot about that. Damn. Um, so we've covered a lot. And Pretty forgettable. One of the things that I had heard about Russell Crowe way back in the day, I forget where I read this or why, um, but I read that he had a band and its name was 30 Odd Foot of Grunts. And uh, the 90s is replete with bad band names, but this one seems almost bad. intentionally bad. Pretty bad. It, unfortunately, there's not a lot of info on Wikipedia about this band. Uh, it's just a subsection under the Russell Crowe article. Um, yeah, I wish the band itself had its own page and that it their does. albums had their own pages, etc. Um, but yeah, Russell Crowe does lead vocals he plays guitar apparently also and they had started in the 1980s or no 1992 he had been playing with one of the guys from the band since the 80s they released their first ep in 95 and then three albums in 98 2001 and 2003 um and this is a lot of this is before he's really a very big star Um, right Although this this one we covered, Bastard Life or Clarity, is from 2001, which is maybe the apex of his um, like Hollywood he's, respect. Because this is the year a beautiful. He's like, mind finally, I can I can do my music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, this is the. Oh, it's the year after he wins an Academy Award. He won it in 2000. When did he? Uh, best. He won a BAFTA for A Beautiful Mind um did he win for gladiator oh he did didn't he beautiful mind's a bad movie it is a bad movie isn't it (laughs) i watched it eventually i was like this is bad Uh, (laughs) i'm not even very woke at this point but i can tell this is bad (laughs) 
I'm, uh, I'm woke levels and just on f- cinema levels. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Gladiator won so many awards. Best picture, best actor for Cameron Crowe, best costume design, best sound, and best visual effects. Do you remember in A Beautiful Mind, they do game theory to figure out which which man should, which like science nerd or math nerd should go home with which women at, woman at the bar based what? on like... <laughs> Their attractiveness. That's a scene in A Beautiful Mind. You're fucking it's kidding awful. me. I can't believe. <laughs> wow. Because uh, because women are like so uh, predictable, and uh, and because attractiveness is so. <laughs> it's so straightforward. Quantifiable. You know? Yeah. That you so can literally just apply game theory to it. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, a Ron Howard joint. Uh, Ron Howard. A hell of a checkered career, I would say. He's done some stuff. He's done some stuff. Um, yeah, so Russell Crowe, this is this is the album that comes out a year after he wins Best uh, Actor at the Academy Awards. I think that is maybe part of why this is the most popular on Spotify. Right. Uh, so I think this is the, the peak of his musical career. And the album, once again, is called Bastard Life or Clarity. Not a good album title. Not a great album title. Not a great band name. But then again, <laughs> one of the biggest in- bands of the 90s is called Pearl Jam. So, Sure. I mean, <laughs> and that's nothing. Well, it's not nothing. It refers to a certain substance, maybe. Does it? I think there, there's... I think the, You're the so idea, worldly, Nathan. I think the idea is that it refers to the jism and that Whenever they were asked oh. about it in interviews, they were always like, oh, yeah, we had an aunt named Pearl, and she always used to take fruit and make really good jam, and that's what we named our band after. The band's about coming? I think it... I mean, they came out of the same scene as, like, Temple of the Dog and Mother Love Bone and, like, other just, like, wacko names. Meat puppets. Out of the, jo- out of the genre that's, like, the genres that have been inspired by coming... I think jazz is better, and I don't even like jazz that much. <laughs> I would have to. Agree. I'm gonna go out on a limb. <laughs> <laughs> Funk may be the the top of that. Um, <laughs> although it's, uh, I think it's, it's more inclusive than just specifically jism. Right? It's is it about shit? Is it about cum? Who can say? It's it's about that like funk. You know what I mean? Hey, <laughs> should we talk about our relationships to? Russell Crowe before we dive into the music. I enjoyed that last time about Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. How about you go ahead with yours? Okay. So I'm looking through the IMDb. We're doing a real blank check episode right now. And I'm I'm scanning the IMDb and seeing what I know about. The things that pop out to me are... Okay. (laughs) Oh, shit. He's been in a lot of movies. Yes, he has. Okay, okay. The things that are popping out to me are 310 to Yuma. That's supposed to be a very good movie, right? Or am I confused? I think maybe I mean, yes. I think maybe you've heard that from me. Okay. 310 to Yuma is probably still what I would say it's one of my favorite movies. Okay. It's this yeah. beautiful ironic meditation on masculinity which most movies that would claim to be a meditation on masculinity, I'd be like, fuck you. You don't know anything about masculinity mm-hmm. and you have nothing of uh, value to say about it. But I feel like this is actually a valuable meditation on masculinity. Mm-hmm. And Russell Crowe plays the, um, 
the outlaw mm-hmm. um, in the movie who is sort of the tempter mm-hmm. um, of uh, Christian Bale's son's character, Logan Lerman's character. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's fucking great in it. At one point, he murders a man with a fork. It's great. Mm, awesome. <laughs> it's really good. Okay. So that's Russell Crowe at his best. Next best, I would say, or uh, a solid middle ground, is the film Noah. <laughs> Did you see Noah? I never saw Noah. In fact, I I just found out about it. That is, it is a Darren Aronofsky movie. Which it is. is banana. I, I saw it. Darren with, Aronofsky. With other people from my church, oh, we no. went to go see it. He's maybe best known for uh, weird films like Mother and was Black Swan, I think, was one of his, and Requiem for a Dream. Right. Yeah. So how, how is Noah? <laughs> I'd be interested to rewatch it. Um, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot. And I think he does a fine job in it. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I think at the, at the bottom of my personal exposure to russell crowe mm-hmm. would be les mis oh boy that was something i was he gonna plays bring up yep i want to talk about that and i think that's specifically relates to uh this episode because it's about russell crowe's relationship with music yes russell crowe's a great fucking actor and he's a terrible musician or at least singer because mm-hmm. i don't know how much of the guitar playing there's good guitar playing in this album Mm -hmm. and even good solo melodic guitar playing in this album or decent passable. Yeah. And, uh, but his singing is bad in this album and his singing in Les Mis is so bad. And he's trying so hard that he is unable to act and he's a really good actor and the whole like, well, let's, (laughs) let's table the Les Mis discussion for now. Okay, fine. Cause I, I think, that deserves a little bit more explanation or exploration rather. Sure. Okay. We could table it. Sure. Okay. We'll get back to it though. Well, what is your relationship oh, with okay. Russell Crowe? Um, basically my idea of him was that, um, he was, uh, hot shit in the early to like mid two thousands. And he kind of just dissipated and let himself go and like kind of became a, a has been, uh later sure. like he starts taking roles like um Jor-El in Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. He's uh he's Dr. I think he Henry does a good job. in the Mummy. Yeah, I never I actually still haven't seen it. Um Oh, he's in Thor Love and Thunder? What interesting. He plays Zeus. Oh wow. Yeah. No way. Yeah. <laughs> um That classic Greek. Yeah. Yeah. The Greek Russell Crowe. Oh, Russell Crowe. Fun fact about Russell Crowe: not Australian. Okay, Russell Crowe is I a Kiwi. Was, I could have sworn he was. Oh, He's a Kiwi that wow. grew up in Australia. A lot of it, but this is going to be the thing that gets me canceled. Yes, this is it. Yeah, you're racist tell. against Russell Crowe, and you didn't recognize his true race of New Zealander. It's okay. I just made an album with someone who is a Kiwi that spent a lot of time in Australia that was raised part of his life in Australia. So I'm allowed to say that (laughs) you have a, a Sydney pass, a Bush pass. Fuck. I should have said Bush pass. Fuck. That's way better. (laughs) God damn it. Uh, Okay. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like 
yeah the the yeah the idea i had of him was like maybe he was good at one point uh but he he was like in that bad robin hood movie sure like never saw robin hood and it just it sounded really bad it's Um, like a robin hood prequel what's that yeah it's i think that was the one that tried to be a little bit more historic about it and like made him like a roman no 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 fuck i'm I'm confusing it with um uh king arthur no i don't know what the fuck this is (laughs) whatever it was it was a bad idea and they shouldn't have done it Um, yeah, so I, I, ha- I only want to see a fuckable Fox playing Robin hood or I'm not interested. <laughs> that is such a hot movie. <laughs> Oof. Ooh, boy. Ooh, getting a little verklempt in here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mercy me. Uh, yeah. So I have seen a lot of, um, Russell Crowe movies. But a lot of them I saw at the time they came out, when I was like 12 or 13 years old, I saw uh, like A Beautiful Mind, Master and Commander, Cinderella Man. I saw all of those like between like 2001 and 2005. Um, and they made like pretty much zero impression on me. <laughs> I remember Gladiator better. I've never seen Gladiator. Yeah? I wonder if it's good. I remember it, it's memorable at least. Are you not entertained? Oh, Joaquin Phoenix plays a, if I remember right, very queer-coded villain who I think at one point, like, forces his sister into incest also. Cool. Great representation, you guys. (laughs) Really just so fantastic. Anyway, um, so, 30, oh, mm, do you want to talk about Les Mis before we get into this album or as along the way? I don't know. Do you have a specific take on it? Have you seen it? I've seen clips of it. Um, okay. There is this, a, a Polygon published an article in uh, last August, about a year ago, um, written by Karen Hahn, who makes the case that uh, Russell Crowe is underrated in Les Mis, the movie. Uh, and the, the link will be in the learning links. Um, it's worth reading the article uh basically the point that man i don't know what this uh, i can at this point i know you're about to tell me yeah i cannot imagine what this argument is because this performance is so bad um well you know what let's let's listen to a few samples of it just so the audience like um gets a little taste of it so here's one sins be forgiven shall his crimes be reprieved Okay, so that's maybe one of the less offensive ones. I remember this one. I think is pretty bad. Now, prisoner two four six zero one, your time is up and your parole's begun. You know what that means? Yes, he's am free. No. Follow to the letter your itinerary. This badge of shame will show it till you die. It warns you're a dangerous man. Stole a loaf of bread. Yeah. So not great also no he's he's kind of like doing a lot of like like um like uh sean connery like yeah like <laughs> uh shit shit down like he's got a lot of that like kind of back in his throat like sure sounds when he's trying to say an s um 
Yeah, so I don't know why he's got that going on. It might be the way the movie was made because Tom Hooper is a madman who uh, seems to be on a quest to make as many bad choices as possible within any given film. Uh, See most recently Cats, which is a a very enjoyable movie to watch if you're high. Um, But Tom Hooper also directed uh, this version of Les Miserables, and he just made a bunch of baffling decisions, including the fact that all of the actors are singing live. I don't think this decision is baffling. I think it's amazing. You think so? Absolutely. Because here's the, here's the thing. Okay, so what? So specifically, what they did mm-hmm. is that the actors sang live um, with a pianist in their earpiece, like in a hidden mm-hmm. earpiece, and then it was orchestrated over. Mm-hmm. And everyone else in the movie does an incredible job. Well, and. I think they do a really good job. I think like, Hugh Jackman might be worse than Russell Crowe, honestly. I think Hugh Jackman's performance is really good. Okay. Well, you've actually seen the movie, but here's a sound clip of Hugh Jackman being Okay. Bad. I haven't heard it isolated, yeah. just the audio. Each other plane, Monsieur Sorry, that is That was Russell Crowe. This is Russell Crowe again, right? Sorry, let me let me back it up if I can. Okay, it starts, I should say, it starts with Russell Crowe, and then we'll hear uh, Hugh Jackman in okay, response. Each other plane, Monsieur Le Maire, you'll wear a different chain. Before you say another word, Chabert, before you chain me up like a slave again, listen to me, there is something I must do. This woman leaves behind a suffering child. There is number me who can intercede. Ooh, that just I I do not like how that sounds. I think it's uh, again, I I think you should watch it in the context. Okay. But there is a <laughs> there is a difference between listening to Russell Crowe mm-hmm. who is very obviously self-conscious about like I'm singing now. Right. It's time to sing. Here's my singing mode of speech. Mm-hmm. And Hugh Jackman, who is doing some musical theater, which is just like, you know, uh, Les Mis has a lot of um, through composed, almost operatic style scenes where there is dialogue. Right. Happen. It's not just songs. It's dialogue opera style. Right. Like and in order, I believe it is is called. Yeah. Right? In order to do that, it takes a very specific uh, kind of performance in order to sell it. And Hugh Jackman is making, I think, a lot of choices um, that are not self conscious choices. They are choices of like, oh, I'm going to take advantage of like this close mic'd sound. Mm-hmm. I'm going to um, not do a perfect singing performance because these parts are not about singing. They are about doing drama on pitches. And mm-hmm. I think he exercises a lot of agency. And Hugh Jackman is a trained Broadway 
vocalist. Right. Like he, he is, yeah. he's got a musical theater background. Yeah, like he's a fantastic singer, and I think he's making choices. And I do not think that Russell Crowe has the agency to really make choices in this movie. Yeah, and I think that that I mean, ultimately, apparently, um, the some of the other stuff that Tom Hooper did in this film is like he encouraged Russell Crowe to be rough and he wanted like a sort of like rough and gruff and gravelly performance out of him. He wanted that for the character apparently from what I have read. Um, so I don't know if we can fully blame Russell Crowe for some of the stuff that's going he on. He shouldn't have been cast. Yeah. I mean, just like, I don't think that he, basic I think it's right that it Tom should be Hooper rough either. and, it should be rough and intimate. And that's the cool thing about that performance is that it's like musical theater, but it's supposed to sound intimate and you you have the ability to like whisper and you're like right next to the microphone and you can have this sort of mixed medium performance mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just having to project to the nosebleeds, right. um, which I think is cool. But Russell Crowe doesn't have agency with his voice. He does not know how to make those kinds of decisions it will be rough regardless of what tom hooper says because we just heard an album of russell crowe singing with presumably the ability to make multiple takes probably overdubbed and Mm -hmm. this is the best the what we're about to talk about is the best that he had to offer in 2001 yeah yeah so i i mean i think tom hooper like was like let's get a rock and roll singer for javert or something and I, I think that, that that's why they settled on Russell Crowe. Um, I think, actually, I, I have talked about this movie a lot, but the uh, 2004 Joel Schumacher adaptation of The Phantom of the Opera is a really interesting, mm. I think, counterpoint or uh, uh, parallel example because Gerard Butler, old Jerry Butts himself, uh, plays the Phantom and he has a really raspy and rough voice which is apparently very different from how that role is traditionally uh performed and there are lots of like traditionalists who really didn't like that um sure but he is also like technically a lot stronger than russell crowe i i think yeah i think russell crowe like couldn't really handle the performing live and i think he was not the right choice for this part probably yeah i I think they should have gotten some sort of like, I don't know, theater person, mm-hmm. you know, like Even some Jerry sort of Butts. BBC. Get Jerry Butts. He, he could have done great. They absolutely could have gotten Jerry Butts and he would have been great. Yeah. It, it Like, I'm, I'm not, I don't feel bad about, like, Russell Crowe's doing fine, you know? Oh, like, yeah. I don't feel bad about Russell Crowe, like, it's fine. It's he, not his fault. Yes. But he not- shouldn't have been hired to do this, especially for this very specific thing that Tom Hooper wanted to do, which yeah. I think is a very special decision that I, th- and I saw the whole movie in theaters. Mm-hmm. And I think that everyone, it, it was kind of electrifying mm-hmm. and that everyone did a fantastic job except Russell Crowe. Oh boy. Okay. And, and, and also I don't think, Les Mis is a good musical and I, I think it's kind of insufferable and I hate musicals and I enjoyed it. <laughs> That's pretty I enjoyed strong it be- praise. I enjoyed it because of that, like, oh, wow. Like, this is like, I'm watching intimate performances that mm-hmm. are live and yeah. 
what a special thing to see in the cinema. Mm-hmm. And I thought the cinematography was great. Okay. Um, Maybe I'll. And watch I don't it. enjoy the musical. It's so long. It's it is so long. It's yeah. so heavy handed. It's so precious. It's yes. so much. It's very modern and very melodramatic. I've <laughs> I've seen it live in uh, in Chicago's Cadillac Theater. I saw it. That sounds awful. I do not like High this musical. Production <laughs> values, but it was seriously like a four or five hour experience. <laughs> It was a lot. Luckily, I was young. Man, musical theater asks so much. I once saw a production of um, Sweeney Todd, uh-huh. where it, this was in Portland, and I think it was like a touring production. All of the ca- the pit orchestra was the cast. Oh my god, that sounds everyone in the cast. Ill-advised. It was it was like at the Keller or whatever, like. Uh-huh all of the instrumentation happened in like a chamber orchestra by the cast on stage. Oof. And it was incredible. It was an incredible technical feat. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow, this is so impressive. Everyone yeah, it is, is doing so much work. And why? <laughs> yes. This musical is high <laughs> camp. Like, like why are <laughs> Why are you taking away this musical is so stupid and so <laughs> silly. Why are you taking away the ability of these actors to focus on just being as big and stupid as possible and mm-hmm. making them play the tuba? Like yeah. <laughs> why are you doing this? This is not the musical to do this with. It's impressive, but to what end? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, anyway, we should actually get in this album. I do want to also note that we shouldn't no one f- should feel bad for Russell Crowe also for other reasons because uh, apparently he likes to uh, get into scuffles or like yell at people or um, huh in June 2005 Crowe was arrested and charged with second degree assault by the NYPD after he threw a telephone at the concierge of the Mercer Hotel who had refused to this <laughs> who had refused to help him place a call when the system did not work from Crowe's room uh what okay he was also charged with who throws a phone who throws a phone (laughs) honestly uh he was also charged with fourth degree criminal possession of a weapon and wikipedia notes in parentheses the telephone (laughs) (laughs) come on (laughs) that's yeah it's a fourth degree weapon right there i don't know it's like a 85th degree (laughs) uh weapon um yeah, so I don't know. He's he can be a bit of a shithead. Okay, he sounds like a real bad man. He sounds like a real bad boy. Ooh, <laughs> it's not what I said. <laughs> He's the bad boy of not only movies but rock and roll. Ooh. Okay, and should we talk about boy, this? Um, I mean, he likes to have a bunch of like lukewarm, mediocre uh, imitations of Soul Asylum. <laughs> should we talk about this this tour de force of Cameron, an album? Cameron, things have got to change we can't keep doing this when do i get to go who gave you the notion you could assume the things i know the things i know oh yeah there's some things i know pointless conversation changing nothing just wasting time Boiler's conversation. 
pointless songs maybe yeah so as my as my extremely funny and good bit uh may have indicated the song is called things have got to change um i know i've got to get out got to run away can't afford the maintenance baby things have got to change things have got to change things have got to change pointless conversation changing nothing just wasting time and why write a song about that what is this it, it is this a song of, about him leaving a romantic partnership is that what this is about i guess so the only thing i can think of is do you remember uh the christopher guest movie waiting for guffman oh yeah yeah there's a scene where a martian visits the the small town of blaine (laughs) missouri and they ask him why and he's like nothing ever happens on mars and he starts singing a song called nothing ever happens on mars and at one point he starts going boring 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 and he goes way longer than you think he will and this is uh eugene levy also playing this uh character who's playing a character and it's very funny and that's all i can think of is like somebody has written a song about how boring their situation is uh pointless conversation changing nothing just wasting time sounds very inspirational to me uh this is a blues (laughs) i guess so it's a it is a 12 bar blues in this in the like the strictest sense of the Mm -hmm. the most stripped down basic sense you know it's 12 bars they went to 12 bars before recording it yeah it's one four one five one yeah um uh, sorry i i stepped over your joke which i think was really funny <laughs> yeah um what do you think of russell crowe's singing because it's not good but he's also operating in a genre that is very tolerant of bad singing what do you what do you mean by that what's the genre what rock, do you mean by that? rock and roll R- rock music is full of people who are not good singers i guess Okay. We talked about Eddie uh, Pearl Jam a lot this episode. Eddie Vedder, bad singer. Do not like. Well, here's the... Okay. I can't believe I'm fucking doing this. Ooh. I I like where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like being backed into this corner. I think Eddie Vedder is a singer with agency who is making questionable choices. I see. Okay. Okay. And this is like the Hugh Jackman thing. It's like, I think Eddie Vedder knows exactly what he's doing and he should be ashamed of himself. <laughs> but I think he has control over what he's doing and he's making artistic choices. Okay. I can and buy that. I don't think Russell Choi, I think, I think mm-hmm. this is what Russell Crowe is capable of. Okay. I don't think he's making choices. I think he's trying the hardest that he can. I think this is the best take he could get. I think that sounds right yeah um yeah but i mean it doesn't necessarily sound like like nick like like nickelback Mm -hmm. if we're talking about like underbite singers Mm -hmm. this chad kroger or whatever his name chad fred byers whatever his (laughs) name is (laughs) local joke he's a good singer He's able to hit the pitches. Mm-hmm. He's able. To, he controls the envelope. He controls the dynamics. He is making choices. I think he has agency over what he is singing. I do not care for the words that he is singing or the style and what it means culturally. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that Chad F- Fred Meyer, <laughs> Chad Jewel Osco, one might call him. <laughs> That's my uh, Midwest heads. 
<laughs> I don't think that makes him a good. Well, I don't think that makes him a bad singer. I think he's an artist mm-hmm. that is making choices that I don't appreciate. I see. Okay, I c- I could see that. I hmm. I think, especially in the '90s and later, there are a lot of examples of singers who are not that much better than Russell Crowe. Oftentimes, having some pretty big songs. I think. Okay, like, give me some for examples. Instance, for Let's instance, I, t- I took a sound sample of a couple uh, Soul Asylum songs um, because I thought that the whole vibe of this album sounded like they were trying to sound like Soul Asylum. And the, the guy who sings in Soul Asylum is not very good. So let's let's take a listen. One more promise I couldn't keep. It seems no one can help me now. I'm in too deep. There's no way out. This time I have really let myself astray. Runaway train never going back. So there's that. I. Oh boy. I mean, I don't think that all those notes to me sounded intentionally pitched. Even the, the warbly, like kind of pitchy ones. Where yeah, he didn't I mean, seemed like he had decided what <laughs> note he was singing until he was halfway done singing it. <laughs> yeah, I think he knows. You think so? Okay. I think I think he's making artistic choices. Okay. All right. I, and just because a singer is bad doesn't mean that I think the music is bad. Right. Just to be clear, yes. there's more issues. Yes. Like, for instance, Sufjan Stevens. <laughs> You've mentioned this. It is my favorite. This is one of my favorite songwriters. I think he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think his albums are lovely. I've seen the man live. I've seen him live on Jimmy Fallon. Mm-hmm. He cannot sing in pitch, <laughs> and he does not have a lot of agency with his voice when put on the spot. Yeah. And it pains me to say, because I respect his musicianship so much, he's not a talented singer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that I care, but it means that in order for me to accept his singing, I have to, there has to be other stuff going on. Russell mm-hmm. Crowe does not have that happening for him. Yes. Yeah, these songs are pretty boring and mediocre. I I do think I think this is a better album than Scarlett Johansson's album. I agree. Yeah. I think it sounds better. I think like yeah. I think the recording and the arrangement maybe it's a little more basic and yeah. boring, but I think it sounds good. It you actually sounds the like there's a lot of money in the mix. Yes. It yeah, there's a lot of money in there. You can hear the vocals. There's dynamic uh, range in terms of like the song dynamics of quieter, louder, uh, like everything in the Scarlett Johansson album was exactly the same volume and it was very tightly compressed. It was just like a solid um, band of yeah. like waveforms. In also in this album, there's a trumpet in every song. Every song. Uh, I think so. Wow. A lone trumpet in every song playing a line. Yeah. We, it, and it's it had not a real always John the most Roberts creative. vibe to it. <laughs> That's a joke for only Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> um, see my, um, my song, my early 
my early aughts <laughs> songwriting <laughs> albums, early 2010 songwriting albums to hear yeah. more of John Roberts playing. More interesting than this yes. album. Yeah, he does. Although, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love to hear a lone trumpet playing a single line. It's cool. Finding it's, a it's place a in a band. Effect. Yeah. It's good. I don't know if the trumpeter is credited as part of the band. Um, because let's see, we have trombone, saxophone. You can you can find the um the album credits on I think this is all music or discogs maybe. Um they don't actually list uh a trumpet here, do they? Yeah, I don't think these credits are very uh very the genius uh, lyrics were like all wrong yeah so okay yeah, there's not a lot of stuff out there for this album here here's the songs that i think i could talk about okay i don't know which ones you want to talk about we, got to we talk should about talk about memorial day, day yes. for probably most of it um i think that maybe we could talk uh maybe briefly about the legend of barry cable okay um <laughs> and then judas cart Yes. Uh, in parentheses, She Begs She More, yeah. which is a tune I'm that di- you played recently you, on your other oh, show. Not only not only does he support the show, but he listens to he it, listens too. to it, too. <laughs> to was get that the, up in the cool. The episode where you're wearing a big goat mask, is that? Or is it a different episode? No, no, no. It's in the same place. It was with um, Penkajang Chalevsky and Brian Lindsay, uh, two lovely olympia area folk musicians mm-hmm. who play a fair amount of old time but they also play tunes like shebeg shamor yes which is uh written by turlo O'Carolan, the the famous irish bard and composer um so it has become a traditional irish tune but it yeah. is i feel like it's played somewhat frequently in like old time circles as well I've never played it before, really? and I played old time for like okay. twelve years. <laughs> well, you have a much better sense of that than I. Do. Anyway, we are getting sidetracked. Um, let's talk about song two. It's called Memorial Day. There's that trumpet. that's pretty uninspiring yeah i used to i used to use the term prosaic and then you introduced me to the term anti-poetic and i think (laughs) that's a lot more powerful (laughs) (laughs) i understand the need to respect the dead learn from them (laughs) understand there's more to this more to this than counting baby more to this than counting babies yeah this is an extremely unclear song um a this song comes out before 9-11 i think if um this had been released a year later it might have had a different cast to it um because it feels very ambiguous about whether or not it is in support of war like in, in a pretty general way like he doesn't really get into specific conflicts it's more like war as uh just the human activity on its own he says um activity well 
yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you don't choose the the most best good word to say when you're ex- just talking off the top of the dome. Um, verse two is, come every April, I hear the shadows call. By the time May comes around, I know that history only exists because of war. Memorial. What does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> Does that mean? Are you that saying you're grateful that war happened? So you that history human exists? civilization would have collapsed if we didn't have war, or are you saying that war is a byproduct of the like level of situ- uh, civilization needed to have or, uh, history? I don't know. It's it's a very odd thing to say. It would um, be a hot take if it was explained or backed up in at all, yeah. <laughs> just in uh, the least bit, and then. And then the the next couple, uh, the last two verses, I should say, are even more baffling. I wear my granddad's medals, the ones he wouldn't wear. Okay, just why 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 would you just wear around your granddad's war medals? Especially, yeah, I don't if think he would do Russell Crowe. Yeah, uh, but he continues even more bafflingly. They represented destruction to him. I think referring to the medals. They feel like freedom when you look at them from here. Uh, what? Like, it's... <laughs> hmm. And then he says, continues, Yesterday was significant. If yesterday you were alive, the things that were important when you woke up yesterday, just remember who you are. Adjust for flight. Memorial Day. Memorial Day. So is it... It seems like he's kind of saying that, like, uh, uh, freedom isn't free, essentially. Like, but it's it's right. phrased in such an odd way that it almost sounds like it could be a criticism or ironic or something. It's really hard to tell. Yeah, they represented destruction yeah, it, him. They feel like freedom when you look at them from here. It almost feels like he's sort of saying that like war is something for civilians to take advantage of, and mm. like a. It's like it's horrible, but like it needs to happen, mm-hmm. which is like a weird take. He doesn't even seem to say that there are horrible, <laughs> that war is horrible, rather. Well, he says it represents uh, destruction to him. I guess it does um, open with the image of the gravestones when he says, Look at the green grass, all the white stone masts. Your ship ain't going nowhere, baby. You can't sail away from this Memorial Day. It's oddly that's it, aggressive. <laughs> and. <laughs> weirdly metaphorical <laughs> yeah um and cameron or i almost said cameron crow russell crow uh cameron crow's <laughs> show me the money <laughs> older brother uh is the first credited songwriter along with cochran yeah 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 this isn't my favorite um tackling of the issue of war or the senselessness of it or the purpose of it or whatever this war song huh what is it good for <laughs> absolutely not i'll say it again um there is a spoken hey, have you... section. oh okay well no let's listen to spoken i have a okay. like a closing like maybe this sometimes we do the little section of the show we're like here's an alternative ah okay so maybe we could do that but like after the first yeah yes Every April 25th, I put my grandfather's medals and I walk down George Street. <laughs> I don't march in the parade, I just stand on the outside in the crowd and observe like he did. And I remember his face. 
at night in a Japanese restaurant when he couldn't eat the rice. <laughs> because it reminded him of 1944. He was a young man. With ambition in his eyes and someone in his step. He couldn't eat the rice. What a bizarre thing. Especially to end on. Where he talks about like he could, when when ambition was in his step and he was a young man. It's like, what? Wait, why are you just suddenly talking about that? I also love that he like he talks about like the 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 food staple that is the most ubiquitous food staple in every culture, uh-huh. as if it was like exclusive to Japan. Yes, they have this as if like Americans didn't grow up eating rice. Rice. <laughs> Especially in, okay in Australia, especially in Australia, Australia is much closer to Asia than uh, a lot of English-speaking places. And from what I understand, there is comparably more like Asian immigration and Asian influence. Uh, and sure. so, for him to be like, Grandpa couldn't eat. What do you call it? Right? How do you say it? Rice? It's so weird. There's this uh, great children's book called Every... I think it's called Everybody Eats Rice. Mm. I don't know if that's exactly... It's something to that effect. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a it's a picture book. It's a children's book about this... Um, some sort of like second generation immigrant family. Is second... I always get confused. Is second generation... Is first generation like someone who did immigrate and second generation is their kids? Or is it one layer. I believe that. that that is right. That the first okay. generation is the people who are doing the immigrating. I think that makes sense to me. It's about like a second generation household. Like um, the kids are second gener- generation. And it's the older sister and she can't find her little brother because he does this thing where he goes around to everyone in the neighborhood in this, like in this, very sort of culturally diverse neighborhood and mm-hmm. goes and eats and mooches off of <laughs> everyone's meals. Mm-hmm. And she goes, it's like a little detective story. How ah, she goes to each cute. neighbor's house and it's someone from a different culture. It's like, you know, the Cuban family, mm-hmm. the Korean family, etc. And, uh, they talk about the meals that like, oh yeah, your little brother was just here. We fed him this. <laughs> <laughs> it's really sweet. And he goes in, but inevitably he eats rice, you know, in some form in every meal, mm-hmm. uh, at every meal, at every household. Right. And it's just like this really sweet, like little story that is, that has the little delight of like a little boy mooch mm-hmm. <laughs> who like wants to eat everyone's food, which my son absolutely is, which is really sweet to think about. Mm-hmm. But also, um, yeah, just, this is like, yeah, everyone eats rice. Everyone has a rice tradition in their f- ethnic food ways, you know, mm-hmm. um, which again, like all the more brings home just like Russell Crowe. Yes. <laughs> Russ. <Do> you- <laughs> can, can I call you Russ? Russ, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, I guess I I was in I guess I was in Australia and like I didn't I think I only ate rice when I was eating Asian food. So maybe there's like less maybe there's just not an Australian food waste that includes rice unless it's like an Asian immigrant yeah. food. Maybe I maybe mean, that's the case. In the in the United States, I feel like the only context that it's super common to have rice would be like Mexican food or 
like Chinese, but or like various like Russian or Eastern European, like pilaf or I guess Chinese yeah. food has become like so Americanized though. I don't know. It's it's pretty common to eat just like there there's like a a vague sort of American a generic suburban American food ways of just like, let's eat some buttered rice as like a, as yeah. like a staple along with our piece of meat, as opposed to potatoes or mm-hmm. a piece of bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I think that's a thing. Mm-hmm. I grew up with that and I know I've been to other households where that's a thing. So mm-hmm. even if you're just eating uncle Ben's. Ooh, yeah. Did he, was he uh, renamed? I think it's just like Ben's now. It's like entrepreneur Ben's. <laughs> Might as well say like girl boss Ben's. Oh, it's called Ben's like original. A, That's what it is. Ben's original. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that that got like affected. Yeah. By the last five years. Yeah. 2020 is when it happened. Now it's called Ben's original. What did they do to Aunt Jemima? Uh, I think, did they get rid of her? I think uh, I think they like renamed the whole brand. Interesting. Yeah, twenty twenty Quaker Oats announced that Aunt Jemima brand would be retired to make progress toward racial equality, uh, and then it will be rebranded as Pearl Milling Company. Oh wow! Yeah, apparently that's who used to own it back in the day. Is someone named? Pearl. We're going to do this symbolic change. There will be no rep- reparative payments <laughs> yes. in any way, but in this in this significant, we will erase the Af- the vague African American influence on mm-hmm. our project on our product. We will completely whitewash this entire product line <laughs> in order to make a huge step forward for racial equality. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're joking, but Aunt Jemima obviously is a horrific racial stereotype. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, you, you had it. You were gonna, you were gonna blow this fucking shit wide open. You were gonna <laughs> blow my ass right out of my socks with with a hot alternate take about this song, right? About Memorial Day? Yeah, I interrupted you to do the spoken word thing, and you were like talking about how sometimes we have alternate takes. Oh shit! I've already. I don't know. I've had like multiple drinks <laughs> before we got started. <laughs> and this you're is, drinking wine again, right this now. This is the. <laughs> This is the evening recording conundrum. It's when, almost eleven o'clock. Gonna, it's it's late. It's late, y'all. Yeah. Good God, y'all. What were what were we gonna talk about? What was I gonna talk about? I don't know. Um, war. Oh, no. ex, like citizen or uh, civilians benefiting from war or like exploiting it or. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe we should just move on. If you remember, serves you right for interrupting me for any reason at any time, even when I'm interrupting you. (laughs) That seems fair. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on. Uh, uh, The Legend of Barry Cable is the next one Um, we want to talk about. Oh, God. Can we just skip to Judas Cart? (laughs) Okay. It's the very. I don't know what else. I know it's only two songs. (laughs) I mean, I feel like you don't really need much more than two songs. Like they're all pretty samey. They're not even like remarkable really for being like shitty or retrograde. Really? I mean, not, not that I recall noticing like super obviously like he, he seems like less of a, has less of a public 
like shithead persona than John Mayer does. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Anyway, so with all that said, let's skip to the very last song called Judas Cart. They'll come out today to take her away. Cause a man and a wig said the sky <laughs> is not blue. Drive on, drive on, drive on, Judas Cart. Taking my little girl away. I'm told it's pretty rough singing there. Is this a custody battle song? It sounds like it. Did he, did Russell Crowe lose a kid in a custody battle? I don't know, honestly. Because like, he can't stop throwing phones at people. Because <laughs> he he always carries a fourth degree weapon with him in his pocket, <laughs> ready at any time to whip out his iPhone and smack someone across the face with it. Um. He did not get married until 2003. Not that that says anything about children or anything. Um, I don't... Oh, he does have two children. Uh, There's not a lot here. At least on Wikipedia. Um, Huh. Yeah, he didn't have any... His children were born in 2003 and 2006. Huh. So maybe he's just like already in just sort of like a red pill kind of mood (laughs) yeah i guess so so he's inventing this story of a custody battle they're coming today to take her away because a man in a wig said the sky is oh you fixed the lyrics already look at you i just i literally just did i was gonna say because uh yeah genius had it wrong is the sky is always blue but he actually says the sky is not blue um so the man in the wig is the judge obviously uh, because they still do that weird shit in Australia, I think, like a lot of Commonwealth places. Really? I think that's that they, wild. Yeah, I think they still do that. Um, it's not that much more ridiculous than our weird, like, ceremonial stuff we do. Um, but setting that aside, how is this a causative relationship? They are coming today to take her away because a man in a wig said, the sky is not blue. <sighs> what? I mean... lyrics can be non sequiturs and they can be poetic bluff this doesn't even seem like a poetic bluff this just seems like literally he accidentally sang a line from a different song (laughs) it just seems like not even related to what's happening uh so what we we noticed that the sky is not actually blue so we're gonna take your kid away and i'm wearing a wig crikey So I think it's like worth saying that like it is a wing, a lesser wing of patriarchy that says that like uh, that moms are sort of the most important parent Mm -hmm. and that like especially, yeah, that like kids need a mom and that they don't ultimately need a dad. Right. Um, and that like, because like if moms are, one, yeah, if you had to choose, it would obviously be the mom right? be- because moms are here to pick up the pieces mm-hmm. of the patriarchal failings. Yeah. And so like, if you're going to have a single parent household, kinds of it's gotta be the mom. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so like, it is like a, a side project, I guess you could say of patriarchy. It's not the main offense, but it's a big one. Yeah. That is, there. there is a thing 
in multiple cultures and multiple legal systems that is saying that like, you know, in every situation, it is better for the mom to get the kid. I know people personally in my life that have been very specifically harmed by this because yes. <laughs> this ultimately patriarchal um, assumption and like, yeah, like uh, <laughs> obviously there are situations where, um, where if there is like a, a straight couple, the man is like the better parent to be the custodial parent. Right. And it should, it should not be a, a given. Right. Obviously you should be looking for the basic red flags, but like, I think this is part of patriarchy and this yeah. is like the weird, the weird kind of branches of f- different waves of feminism that mm-hmm. don't necessarily account for the ways that, uh, women can be complicit in patriarchy right. um, or, or dare I say like even sort of benefit benefit from it in like really in specific. Ways. Yeah. In very spe- Yeah. I know that's a problematic thing um, to say as like a pattern and like, yeah. so what yeah. you're trying to say is everyone should take the red pill and we've got to recognize that <laughs> women are so privileged and they have all the rights in society. And you look at the courts and like, the courts are going to side with the women in the oh custody battles. And so like men are, I mean, if you think about it, really men are the oppressed ones. Yeah. No, okay. I, <laughs> I kid, <laughs> but that, that is, that is a nice little extra layer of like shittiness on the shit lasagna of this whole like system is like an additional like mutant form of, uh, patriarchy, uh, yes. like, uh, reactionaryism is to say, that men are the oppressed ones now because of very specific <laughs> exactly like tendencies which were also uh enacted by patriarchy it's not dissimilar to saying like well like white people are an oppressed class now because of all the woke culture or cancel culture or whatever you yeah. know it's like or obviously or that's more, more closely like saying that oh men are the ones who have to register for like the draft or the selective service and they're the ones who like ha- are killed in like war and violence a lot more than women, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's like actually maybe a legitimate grievance. Yeah. That's probably a more legitimate grievance. I actually know that you say it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel some sort of way about that. Yeah. I don't feel like, so women should be grateful. I feel like, (laughs) so I shouldn't have had to sign up for the selective service because that's fucked. (laughs) Fucking nuts. Anyway, um, before I dig myself some sort of like, uh, grave um mm-hmm. in my multiple drinks in mm-hmm. talk about this i don't know why russell crowe's singing this song i, I don't know either <laughs> it doesn't seem like it actually has anything personally to do with him maybe it's a cochran as opposed to a crow song could be I, yeah i don't know although um, if it is a cochran song it should be cochran singing or whoever is doing the background vocals because they're a way better singer than russell crowe <laughs> <laughs> This is, this, is, this is the weird thing about this album okay it is it feels like it is well it seems to be a vanity project to at least some degree uh yes. there are better singers in the band than russell crowe but he is the front man um and yet it never really seemed like russell crowe is trying to push this band or like 
leverage his fame in acting in order to bring success to his band. It always, it, I mean, it really does seem like it was kind of this like little hobby that he was kind of indulging in that he, ne- he never tried to make a music career, really. You know? Yeah, I mean, like, South Park made fun of him for a while, but that's the most that I was aware of him doing music. Yeah. And a lot of, like, actors turned musicians will try to, like, get a performance at the Academy Awards or on a late night right. show or something and, like, try to build up interest in that way. And it never really seemed like Russell Crowe did. So it's 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 this weird combination of, like, it's like an underground vanity project. <laughs> It's odd. It's weird. I, I, it makes me respect uh, Keanu's approach even more because Keanu was in the band Dogstar and he just, he like played the bass and that was it. Like, I don't think he sang or even maybe did any songwriting. He was just like, yeah, this is just something I do for fun. I just play the bass. Yeah, I wasn't aware of it until, of, of Dogstar until I saw some sort of like, uh, cable advertisement for like a best of compilation CD. The dog star was featured on and it showed a bit of the music video. And I was like, is that fucking Keanu Reeves? <laughs> oh my God. Also all the more, all the, the more credit to him. If you go on Wikipedia, the way the band formed is so cute. The genesis of dog star was a chance encounter between Robert Mailhouse and Keanu Reeves in a supermarket in 1991. Mailhouse was wearing a Detroit Red Wings hockey sweater, and Reeves, an avid hockey fan and a keen player of the sport, asked if Mailhouse needed a goalie. As the two men formed a friendship, they began jamming together and were joined by Greg Miller as the original lead guitarist and singer in 92. Reeves said that one thing led to another uh, in the (laughs) band's history, that is. (laughs) Uh, and then we uh, were reciting some Henry the fifth. <laughs> we did some Kung Fu. You yeah. know how it goes. We wore cool sunglasses. Uh, and then we were on a bus that couldn't slow down. It was crazy. <laughs> then we time traveled. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that's so cute. Um, it, I, I mean, it's basically, uh, uh, I love you, man. The movie. Should we cover uh dog star the complete collection on spotify the one album on spotify for the last palate cleanser so we have some time to figure out what we're gonna do for season 19 sure why not let's do it it's probably more interesting than 30 odd foot of grunts i'd be really interested in having like a bass focus yeah just like if if keanu reeves is indeed the bassist like let's listen to an album be like Let's check out Keanu Reeves' bass playing. Yeah. Let's see what kind of stuff he's up to. Yeah, that's a great idea. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, so yeah, I guess I guess we're done talking about Judas Cart, basically. We, there's more I could say about these baffling lyrics or like the weird phrase Judas Cart. Um, one thing that might be worth checking in on is Russell Crowe's new music project. Oh. Um, he had like uh 30 odd foot of grunts broke up boohoo so sad we will miss them gone but no! not forgotten no! <laughs> no! Um, and in 2005 he formed a new band called the ordinary fear of god which if you will uh take a second 
keeps the same acronym as 30 odd foot of grunts oh my god <laughs> tofog or t-o-f-o-g uh so the ordinary fear of god and it is um where is this saying uh yeah it is uh it's the guy from great big c i think oh um great big c is a canadian folk it's like a folk boy band yeah yeah i've heard of great big c specifically because that was what um frequent guest of get up in the cool alex sturbaum that was their obsession as a kid that was their like folk gateway i had an album of theirs that i listened to a lot in high school um and it, it has like a lot of like Newfoundland type like folky music. Ah, uh, yeah, very Canadian. Oh, the album that I Atlantic had is not Dreams, on the Alex Sturbaum Newfoundland button accordion album that came out Ooh. this last year. Yeah. Anyway, so he Russell Crowe collaborated with uh, Alan Doyle of Great Big C, um. and this is what the music they're making uh, sounds like this when did this come out shit this might not have actually been that much longer after um uh let's see what year is this this is 2015 okay so this is this is fairly fairly recent comparatively what do you say to someone when they've heard you say it all it's an awkward conversation in a most peculiar way how did we get from saying I love you to I'll see you around someday? That sounds like way better singing, no? It does, yeah. Yeah. He's, it's still a little bit like, feels kind of affected. And he it kind of sounds like, like, sure. Russ, why are you like kind of like squeezing your teeth together and like singing through them? It doesn't, it's, it's an odd choice, but it, like, he seems to be in overall much better command of, like, pitch specifically and just, uh, what, what is it? The, the word you keep using envelope. Yeah. The start and stop of a note. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he's got a bright music career ahead of him. I think we can say. I think you should get another another shot. LA Miss. <laughs> Tom ha! Hooper, do it again. He's ready now. Remake. Reboot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> have uh, Alan Doyle from Great Big C uh, sing along with him. <laughs> just, just have like a Greek chorus of Javert's. Anyway, we should probably uh, close up shop. It is about 11 o'clock. Gotta go to bed. Gotta go to bed. And uh, we got to talk about Dogstar next week. That's right. Yeah. Until that time, you can visit us online at boxset.website. Email us at email at boxset.website. Tweet us at Tobias Podcast. Uh, Write us a review on iTunes, but also, as Cameron mentioned last week, share the show with someone you think might enjoy it. Um, Tell them that there is a weird, dumb show that, uh, for some reason, decided to listen to Russell Crowe's music. (laughs) and isn't that enticing and don't you want to listen to that um you should also listen to cameron's other podcast which is uh get up in the cool and we've already referenced it because uh oh 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 we never closed the loop on she begs you more oh yeah okay i have i have a sound sample of its um 
probably most popular rendition from the band Planksty. And okay, I'm I'm gonna I'll pl- I'll play the the sound sample from the song again, unfortunately, because it's probably been long enough that everyone's forgotten it. So we'll, we'll listen to that and then hear the tune itself. They are coming today to take her away. Cause a man and a wig said the sky is not blue. Drive on, drive on, drive on Judas Car. Chicken, my little girl. Judas Car? It does sound like Judas Car, but apparently the title is Cart. It's it's oh, really cart. weird. It sounds like he's mad at the car. It's like this car is betraying me by driving <laughs> away this made-up daughter. <laughs> anyway, here is the here's the tune itself. Pipes. Fucking pipes. It's a lovely tune. I like when it's very nice ending, and it's like doing those like intervals, like going downwards. Yeah, it's it's it's. It's a nice moment. It's a good moment. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. We're we're we were talking about how you could support us. If you want to support us more directly, you can go to our Patreon at support.boxset.website. Kick us a few bucks. You get access to all of our bonus materials, which includes a huge, huge backlog of our weekly mini show, which is called What's in the Box Weekly. And this week, we talked about, uh, I believe it's called Reminiscence. Uh, And then I talked about the film Thelma and Louise, which fucking rules. So give that a listen. All right. Well, until next week when we're back with Keanu and Dogstar, I've been Nathan Hunt and I've got a bush pass. <laughs> I've been Cameron DeWitt and Chad Kroger is a good singer. <laughs> you son of a bitch. This is how you remind me <laughs> what I really am. Look at this photograph. <laughs>